This week on Tech Radio with IP Telecom, we found someone even bigger than Apple. Hi, I'm Artemis. I am a computer-generated AI voice, and you're listening to Tech Radio. Every week online and on air with RT Radio, we bring you the very latest in tech. You're welcome to episode 987. This week, we're going to be chatting with Robin Russell from IP Telecom about how AI could work with call centers and hopefully improve those chatbots that we see on websites. And of course, the other big news of the day is the brand new iPhone 15. So let's get straight into it. This is Tech Radio with Dusty Rhodes and Niall Kitson. Niall Kitson, you are my genius of the week because you have come up with the ideal name for the iPhone 15. Lay it on the world. Yep. iPhone 15, European edition. The EU edition. I absolutely love it because the big story, and I loved it, uh, was that, you know, Apple bowed down to the EU. They certainly did uh, on two fronts. Um, one is the glass back, uh, that is now easier to remove, which means it is easier to repair, um, you know, whether there's something wrong with the couples on the inside or just replacing the battery. So that's gotten a little bit easier, Mm -hmm. uh, but also, and more importantly, lightning is dead and we are moving to USB-C, um, or are we? So there, there, there's a catch. (laughs) There's always a catch with Apple. Um, always. So first of all. Hallelujah, USB-C, very happy with that. Uh, Of course, this is part of the price of doing business in the EU because you've got the right to repair. And you might remember uh, the USB made, sorry, the EU made uh, micro USB the standard for phone charging, um, Mm. which is why so many many, uh, phones had it for years. Thank you, EU. So USB-C is now the standard. And what Apple have done is a little bit sarky a little bit, uh, a little bit bratish. So as we know, there's two new models, the iPhone 15 and the iPhone 15 Pro, both using USB-C. However, the difference between the two is if you just get a regular iPhone 15 USB-C connector, speeds comparable to USB 2. You get the Pro version, USB-C connector supports USB 3 which means 20 times faster transfers. uh, And uh, uh, I think there's a bit of a bump there on the um, charging time as well. So it's sort of like, yeah, yeah, okay, we'll play ball, but, you know, we're not happy about it. Uh, So there you go. Two two things to placate the EU. There are two people at fault here. uh, And one is Apple. Why can't they just make USB integration standard across all of the various models. Why are they putting the rubbishy one on the cheaper model and then the all singing, all dancing, 20 times faster model on, on, on the big expensive pro phone? So you, I think that's You answered nasty. your own question there. You answered your own question. Well, uh, yes, but it, I don't think it's right. Uh, the no, second not. thing is the USB people themselves can't get away scot-free on this, okay? Because the USB standard is a nightmare. Oh my God. I wish it was as simple as... USB-A, USB-C, USB-B, or whatever it is. Because there are so many different things within the US. The USB-C is the shape of the connector, but it's not actually what the connector is capable of, as Apple have seen. You get 480 uh, uh, megabits per second, I think, and then 20 times that uh, with the Pro version, but with the same connector. Um, Then you've got USB-C 3, 
uh, you've got USB-C 3.1 and then 3.2, and they're completely different things. And, and one will supply power and the other one will not supply power and one will run at this speed and the other one. And then it gets into the cables, okay? Mm. Because then the cable, if you don't cur- purchase the correct cable, then you can plug it into the high-speed port, but you won't get high speeds because you're using the wrong cable. It's a nightmare. It yeah. really is a nightmare. But, you know, it's still good to say goodbye to Lightning. Uh, which nobody else used. So it was yeah. very much just sort of Apple going, ha you got to play ball mm. with us uh, again, yeah. because that's that's what Apple do. Um, still interesting, if you go on the Apple website, you can still get the iPhone SE, which is the 4.7 inch model, uh, using mm. a, a Retina display. So it shows that there's still market out there for a lower cost iPhone, which is grand for my money. Uh, and I've said this before, but the iPhone 4S was the best iPhone um, it's and I think the fact that we have the iPhone SE still around pretty much cements that uh, opinion. Uh, of course, yeah. you can still get the iPhone 14 as well, even if only to compare it to the greatness of the 15 and the 15 Pro. Um, however, let it be known, 14, 15, 15 Pro uh, all have the same screen size, 6.7 inch or 6.1 inch, uh, depending mm. on your uh, your want. Um mm. 15 compared to the 14, same Super Retina XDR display. Um, the 15 Pro also gives you ProMotion technology and, yeah, an always-on display. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Uh, I think the always-on display, which I've had on my Samsung for years, <coughs> uh, is really good, actually, because it uses up very little uh, power and essentially it's just showing you something very basic in, in white pixels only and dimmed white pixels and that. Very little uh, impact on battery performance. So good to see it's there. Uh, there was another thing as well. The Pro can take 3D videos. Did you uh, notice that the iPhone Pro can take, the camera can take 3D videos because it's using a mix of the telephoto lens or the wide zoom lens, I should say, and the regular lens to be able to patch things together. Yeah, yeah. Now, you know, the, the front camera is uh, 48 megapixels. That's mm. kind of like when Who I was starting that? out as a technology journalist, like we, we had DSLRs on 20 megapixels and people thinking that is fantastic. Isn't it great what they can do? So, you know, you've got a 48 megapixel main camera. You've also got a 24 megapixel uh, super high resolution uh, camera as well. Um, mm. And, you know, similarly with the regular 15, 48 megapixels and then 24 uh, going down to. So that's they, sort of, they, they look at what they call sort of next generation portraits, which is kind of, if something happens in the background, they can kind of fill it in. They can figure out what's going on. Um, mm. Say if your your subject changes position or, or something like that, um, mm. you can do that. Uh, looking at the cameras, uh, always you should look at the optical uh, range and the optical zoom as opposed to the digital zoom because that is the uh, that is the one that preserves all the um, uh, all the image without pixelating. Um, the pro will go up to ten times optical zoom, which is pretty cool, versus the regular model, which will go four times compared with the iPhone fourteen, uh, which would only go two x, and uh, of course the SE, which is one x because. It is small and little, but but kind of mighty as well. Um, is there anything else you should be kind of interested in? Well, yeah, because we got new chips as well. So uh, if you're using the regular 15, you've got the A6 Bionic chip, which is five cores. 
um, step up from the A15, which was in the 14. Uh, and if you are want to use the Pro, you have the A17 Pro chip, which is a six core GPU uh, in there as well. One thing though, right? One thing, and it's the little things that kind of catch your eye and make you go, oh, that's kind of, it's kind of funky. That's kind of interesting. Uh, the two new models, of course, uh, they have the dynamic island, so that will uh, expand and contract based on what you're using, uh, as opposed to the last few models, which just had that notch, uh, which would, you know, things would appear around it. Uh, whereas now, I suppose they've gotten all those things into a much smaller space, so it's a much more dynamic island. On the Pro, they have what they're calling an action button. And this is basically a customizable button. You can get it to do anything. That's kind of nifty. It is, because everybody will have their own thing. Some people want to use it for camera. Other people want to use it to pull up WhatsApp or a messaging, iMessage, pardon me, um, and so on and so forth. It is It is quite nice, actually. I'm surprised that they've actually put it in. Yeah. Is it? Is it worth, you know, 300 odd euro? Of I, course it's not. <laughs> that's, that's the question. I mean, you know, if you're starting from, from scratch, uh, the yeah. 15 will cost uh, 979 euro. If you're going pro, 1239 euro. Uh, your mileage may vary depending on your carrier and your tariff. <laughs> I like the way you say that. Uh, other announcements that they made, of course, uh, well, not announcements, but other things just to, to keep in mind is that iOS 17 is going to start uh, rolling out on Monday, along with the launch of the iPhone. Uh, so you'll be able to download that. Uh, and then Mac OS, the, uh, the new OS is going to be here the last week in September. One other thing that they announced, actually, uh, that not many people picked up on, but I did. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, maybe it's because I use cloud services a lot, but iCloud is now getting even bigger and they've added in options for a six terabyte cloud and a 12 terabyte cloud, all right? Which sounds amazing. Uh, who's going to need that kind of much space? And I suppose if you're taking a lot of videos and a lot of photos with your phone, up it goes into, into iCloud and it stays there and it's great. And then you can pull it down as required. Um, but one of the things that they tout this whole iCloud out to is to content creators such as myself, people who are editing video and editing audio and working with large image files and all this kind of thing, because, you know, they take up a lot of space in your computer. However, they've made a change recently, um, which is driving me nuts because I've invested in some new gear. All right. Couple of grand spent. All right. And I have been left with a brick, essentially. All right. Ooh. Up, up until this point in time, all right, because there was so much data, I had a large uh, external drives uh, permanently connected to the computer. And those external drives were connected to uh, Google or Microsoft OneDrive or whatever I happened to be using, all right? Mm -hmm. And it worked brilliantly, all right? So I had terabytes of data sitting there and it was all backed up in the cloud, all right? Right. Apple have changed things now so that any cloud service files you have must be stored on the local drive. Can't oh. be stored on an external drive, can't be stored, uh, even if the, it, uh, it can't be stored on a second drive within the machine, can't be uh, stored on a, well, well, not you can do that anymore, can't be it's stored on an external drive connected by USB or however it is that you do it, it, it can only be stored on the local drive. Now, here they are, right? Six terabytes of space in the cloud and on your computer, 250 megs or gigs or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. 
it's like, do you know? And it's driving me nuts because everything worked perfectly. All right. Got this mm-hmm. new machine, which is like Concord. All right. I have to say the new M2 uh, Pro Max, whatever it is, process, it rocks along. All right. But because every time I need to work on a new project, I have to download it. It's taking me 15 minutes <laughs> to open up something to work on. So it's like having Concord for speed, but somebody's put a little elasticated propeller at the front of Concord <laughs> and it's crawling along at 10 miles an hour. Okay, so so take take me through the the mechanics of this. You can't put a 1 terabyte hard drive into your machine because it has to be mirrored in the cloud. Is that it? No. It's that you can connect a one terabyte drive to your machine if you want, and you can use it, and that's fine. There's no problem, right? It's only if you're using cloud services. Right. Okay. Because we are a team and that we all work together, we have got terabytes of projects with audio, video, and image files sitting on a cloud service. And we all have this cloud service copied onto local drives so that we can work fast. And this change where the cloud files have to be just on your tiny, tiny, little, teeny, weeny, little local drive has scuppered that altogether. Okay. So, but, you know, is this just with iCloud or does it affect other services as well? iCloud, Dropbox, Google. Uh, I Not so much with Microsoft at the moment, but it's coming. Okay, and it's only right. with Apple. Works perfectly on PC. Works perfectly with two OSs uh, ago. I can't remember what, what, what they were called. As I say, on my older machine, which is about two years old, worked perfectly. No problem. And what's 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 the damage on this? Uh, well, if I want to get a one terabyte or a two terabyte drive on my machine, firstly, I have to buy a new machine. All right. Because you can only get those sizes when you make the order. And a two terabyte drive will cost me an extra roughly 1,000 euro. Wow. So wow. it's, it's crazy. I am annoyed. Um, there is, I, I'm getting very likely that I'm going to move away from Apple for uh, our production stuff in future. Mm. Okay. Because okay. that kind of thing is just, just, and what's driving me nuts about it now is there is no technical reason for this not to work. It's yeah, I'm trying to get Apple my head around have it. decided with software Mm, we're going to put this restriction in place. Yeah, that's, yeah, I'm I'm having trouble getting my head around this because like I spend 120 euro a year on Dropbox for, mm-hmm. I, I think it's a, a, a terabyte of data, which I will never use. Yeah. Uh, I will never use that much. Uh, and I back up my computer to it every, every so often. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's kind of it. You know, it's fairly, fairly cheap, fairly affordable, mm-hmm. uh, plenty of storage. Um, and it's a subscription service. So mm-hmm. is is this sort of a one-off payment? No, it's not, because what's happening with the world, and here's my final word on this, and because okay. we move on with our, our interview, right? What is happening right. with all of these services is that the data which you had on your computer is now being kept in the cloud. Mm-hmm. And it's now mainly being kept in the cloud and not on your computer. Right. Which means that you are paying a subscription to somebody else to access your own data. <laughs> That's what's happening. 
So they've basically inserted themselves as a middleman to get at your data. If I want to check my accounts, I need to download that file from my iCloud. And if Apple go, well, actually, do you know what? You haven't paid your subscription or there's a problem with your card (laughs) or whatever happens to be. Okay. Drives me nuts. Anyway, Anyway, can we also give a very quick mention to the new Apple Watch Series 9? Uh, Mm -hmm. Apple says it is one of its first ever carbon neutral products. And the only thing I can find that is of interest to it is what they're calling their SIP, which isn't system on a chip, it's system in a package. Uh, I'm sure there are important differences there. Uh, and that's and they've also got this sort of gesture control thing um, where you basically tap your, tap your finger and uh, it will do what you would do if you were to use the digital crown on it. Yes, there you and go. You, don't, you absolutely don't look like an idiot snapping your fingers in the air for no reason. Well done, Apple. Uh, <laughs> there you go. As always, pros and cons. But Niall, uh, thanks for keeping us up to date with it all. This is Tech Radio from TechCentral.ie. Get every episode of Tech Radio by clicking follow on your podcast player right now. We've often spoken about the kind of jobs AI will either help or get rid of altogether. You may have already seen it creep into certain tasks like dealing with customer queries on websites. It does beg the question, though, can this be done at scale? Robin Russell is Chief Commercial Officer with IP Telecom, and he spoke with Niall Kitson about the future of call centres. Robin, AI is pretty much changing our relationship with everything at the moment. Um, In looking at various sectors, we are seeing AI replace the human influence very often with no obvious effects. And sometimes when it goes wrong, it goes very badly wrong. Are you seeing many instances of customers changing their relationships uh, with companies? Um, the only things that I've seen is obviously the negative impact because, you know, that's what generally hits the news and, and causes the issue. But I think um, lots of companies are seeing the short-term cost benefits of moving to AI and, and replacing people. Um, and I think there needs to be a more considered approach to how AI can complement the human resource that they've got. Because at the end of the day, AI can never replace a human brain. So it has to be looked in a considered way, but also looked at as the needs of the individual company and their client base, Um, whether or not their client base is um, able to use any type of digital technology to work with AI. Say they've implemented chatbots and removed agents. Um, or whether or not the conversation with the agent is suitable for AI. Um, Like technical support is not necessarily AI compatible. It can triage before the technical call with the agent, but it still needs to be a human-to-human call to get that, that good customer service that people expect. One of the things about that sort of triage functionality is that people can get caught in downward spirals where they'd be just like, I just want to talk to a human who can answer my question. I don't want to get locked into this sort of uh, labyrinth of yes, no, 
press one, press two, and end up at a main menu that I didn't want to, uh, that I wanted to bypass in the first place. Are you finding there's an awful lot of a challenge out there for companies to develop that kind of architecture that will make it easy for people to get through to that human voice? Or is there that kind of gold rush mentality to keep people within the system as much as possible? I think that's um, locking to trying to find a human to speak to has been around even pre-AI. So even when auto attendance and IVRs first came onto the market, there was always that try and keep everybody locked into an AI and try and keep them um, engaged at that point because uh, obviously it's cheaper to have an IVR deal with a person than an actual human. So I think it just comes down to a considered approach. Um, for when you're designing an IVR or designing a chatbot or designing AI. Um, but yeah, I mean, even when I phone a supplier, say you're phoning up um, your electricity company, sometimes you do feel that they've gone over-reliant on an IVR or AI to service you. Um, but it's that trying to find that middle ground between AI providing service quickly and efficiently and giving them an option to get to a contact center agent. Yeah, and that issue of how to build a better IVR is going to be reimagined in this age of AI. And one example that I think is worth looking at is the call center, because from your perspective, um, I imagine a fairly challenging project would be to get a call center up and running, using the right technology, able to scale up or down as necessary. It's a a very agile uh, project. Do you think those projects are going to change significantly in the short term if we're looking to AI to replicate that human experience even closer? Um, It's always a challenge scaling a contact center, but I think given that most telephony and contact center technology is cloud-based now. So there's not necessarily a technological scale that's an issue. Um, it's more about, um, I would say, bums on seats, call center agents um, is a scale issue. Um, but I think AI is used in those contact centers as complementary and can be used in a complementary fashion. It shouldn't be AI to replace an entire contact center functionality. I don't think there are many cases where that's worked 100% um, because people always want to speak to people at some point. I think that idea of sort of the replacing uh, the call center with, with AI or more importantly, using AI as a tool for customer service reps must bring with it uh, a host of technical challenges, uh, as well as kind of a, a reimagining of what customer service looks like. You know, do you have a script in front of you or are you um, sort of uh, conversing with an AI with the same amount of information, all, all in the name of efficiency? Um, where do you see this sort of trend going? Is it going to be a matter of somebody's there, you know, they're dealing with a client and then microphone off, I'll ask ChatGPT what they're thinking. Or will it be something augmenting the script that's there? Maybe a keyword is being picked off in a phone conversation. Yeah, 
Well, that kind of technology to complements a contact center agent. Um, I mean, it's been used in contact centers for you know a number of years, even before um, the big push on an AI uh, of the recent 12 to 18 months, where you've got contact center agents where you've got um, transcription happening. So transcription historically was always done post-call, but now transcription can be done mid-call. So it's almost live transcription. And along with that transcription, you get sentimentality reporting. So um, that sentimentality reporting is measuring the tone of that conversation, whether the customer's getting frustrated. And whilst the, the contact center agent in the call as a human can detect that um, frustration from a customer, um, that alarming with sentimentality and AI being inserted into that call allows a supervisor and a team leader to see that. So they they can be alarmed as to that an agent's got a call. It can even be an abusive call um, at that point, dependent on the the um, business that they're in. But it just allows that kind of oversight and reporting. But the use of AI with sentimentality has kind of a, just a little bit of a wider scope is that what you can do from that reporting, rather than just using it to monitor an agent's performance, what you can do is you use it to monitor the caller's performance. So you can probably look at your sentimentality reports over a period of, say, a month, and then go, actually, what we see is calls start going wrong at certain times of day. So after five o'clock, people have had a long day at work, they come home, the phone, their supplier, and then calls get heated very quickly, just purely through frustration, people are tired. Um, and maybe you look to go, well, I'm going to put my best agents on at that time of day because they're better able to handle and keep customers calm. So it has multiple uses applying AI into that contact center. But again, it's very complementary to the contact center agent. So then in terms of looking towards the boardroom and taking learnings from the call center floor to that kind of management level, what kind of filtration are we seeing? Increasingly, we're looking at features being added to the likes of Zoom, to the likes of Teams, are some going to be integrated into our, our daily lives, our daily workflows, or are they going to need that constant handholding that we seem to need to give them at the moment? Um, I think just the general topic of AI has made its way up into the boardroom um, anyway. Um, so, but Again, you know, I just I keep reiterating it's that that complementary effect uh, of how it works. Definitely, AI um, provides statistics, um, and I wouldn't like to say ammunition, but it just provides those statistics that people can lean on to provide up through to the boardroom. Um, we are seeing various technologies get released that are working with video calls now. Um, we see devices working on video where like the, if they follow the person and the voice around the room. So there's always a focus on the camera. That's not necessarily AI, but it's that technological advancement in things that happen as simple items within a business. Yes. And I've seen that in training 
where you do have things like eyeball tracking just so you know the 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 learner or 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 the customer just keeps a natural eye line with somebody that is potentially flitting from one monitor to to another and that's kind of a, a problem of maintaining that remote human connection isn't it it is it's i'm a firm i'm a i'm very much a people person so I think video is fantastic for main video and video calls is fantastic for maintaining a relationship. But when it comes to building a relationship, I feel very much so that you have to do that on a one-to-one in-person basis. It was very difficult over COVID because um, you didn't have that option. But now as we move into a more of a, a hybrid world where video is more acceptable, um, I still like to go out and meet people for the first time, just so, you know, we've got that human contact. And that was Robin Russell, Chief Commercial Officer with IP Telecom, chatting with Niall Kitson. If you'd like to find out more, you find a link to IP Telecom in the show notes. This is Tech Radio. That's it for our show this week. Just before we go, we have time for just one more thing appropriately this week from Steve Jobs in heaven. Thanks, Dusty. Other stories to check out online this week include Salesforce giving its Einstein AI assistant a refresh. OpenAI's CEO says hallucinations are magic. And we have more on this year's winning investigation at the National James Dyson Awards. You'll find all those and more online at techcentral.ie. Thanks, Steve. We're back again next Friday on RTE Radio 1 Extra or get new episodes automatically by clicking follow on your podcast player. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from Niall Kitson, thanks for listening. Take care. Tech Radio is produced by DustPod.io. From me, Artemis, goodbye. Goodbye.